welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Monday, June 24th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Joe Sestak joins the field, two key moments from the Planned Parenthood Forum in South Carolina, and primary debate bingo is here. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. On Saturday, we got another new candidate in the Democratic primary field. This brings my list up to 25 major candidates. The latest entrant is Joe Sestak, a former Navy admiral and congressional rep from Pennsylvania. Now, I know the inevitable first question because I had it too. Why announce now? Why announce so late and right in the middle of a news cycle dominated by debates that you won't be in? Well, Sestak is actually the second major candidate to delay his announcement because of cancer, and not his own, his daughter's. Sestak's daughter Alex was diagnosed with malignant brain cancer when she was just four years old. They treated it then, but it came back recently. Sestak explained that in a video. Reading from the transcript here, quote, While my announcement may be later than others for the honor of seeking the presidency, the decision to delay was so I could be there with our daughter after her brain cancer had returned. Throughout this past year, Alex again showed she is stronger than me, heroically beating the single-digit odds once more, drawing on the fortitude of her mom. End quote. Okay, and Alex apparently is okay right now. So with that out of the way, let's get to some key stats about this new candidate. He is 67 years old. His military service stretched from 1974 all the way through 2005, and he retired as a three-star Navy admiral. Reading from the New York Times on his military service, quote, He commanded an aircraft carrier battle group that conducted combat operations in Afghanistan and Iraq served as President Clinton's Director for Defense Policy on the National Security Council in the White House, and served as the Deputy Chief of Naval Operations for Warfare Requirements, end quote. After his retirement from the Navy, Sestak served in Congress from 2007 through 2011. He ran for Senate in 2010, and that was a whole story of its own. Let's just say, if you remember Arlen Specter and that time he changed parties, well, Joe Sestak is the guy who beat Specter in that primary and then narrowly lost the general to Pat Toomey. Look up that race if you've got some time on your hands, it is a whole thing. During his time in Congress, Sestak was key in repealing the don't ask, don't tell policy in the military. He also created and co-chaired the House Pediatric Cancer Caucus. After all that, and losing his first Senate bid, he did a variety of interesting stuff. Now, Sestak lectured and taught at both Cheney University and Carnegie Mellon University's Heinz College. Then in 2016, he decided to run for Senate again, and he walked 422 miles across the length of Pennsylvania. He paused each day to hold a town hall event. He faced, in that primary, a very large field, and he came in second. Okay, so over the weekend, Sestak released the single longest campaign announcement video I have ever seen. It is more than 16 minutes long and features Sestak in the corner of some room in front of a painting of a stormy beach scene. He also occasionally sits on a buffet that's crammed into the corner. I'm not sure where the microphone is, but it's certainly picking up a lot of room sound, kind of that echo that makes it sound like you're in the corner of a room next to a buffet and a painting. The video seems to randomly bring in music at times and then fades it in and fades it out again. I mentioned that for context for the clip coming up. Okay, so I have not modified the sound in the upcoming clip, though I did make the whole thing louder overall with the hope that you can hear what Sestak is saying. 
there's a link to the full video, along with a bunch of text that's not quite a transcript, but close in the show notes. All right, listen in. Washington, D.C. has become a restricted circle of entrenched political elite and corporate lobbyists who feel empowered to bypass the public good for their self-interests. The president is not the problem. He is the symptom of the problem people see with a system that is not fair and accountable to the people for far too long. Take Iraq. Politicians of both parties who supported that decision did not understand either the complexities of the world or the limitations of the military power. And no one, not one political leader or any other, has ever answered for themselves to be accountable for the carnage of either that great recession or that tragic war. It is this unaccountable leadership that is responsible for the lack of trust in America today that undermines our sense of national unity of whom we are and what we stand for. With a leader who is trusted by the people because he is willing to be accountable to them, above self, above party, above any special interest, no matter the cost to him. Our epic challenge is to regain the trust of Americans, all Americans, by a president who the people know will remain accountable to them even when they disagree. We have no choice, for we cannot meet the defining challenges of our time without a united America. Our nation, above anything else, yearns for someone accountable only to the American people, no matter the consequences to himself. That is why I originally ran for the U.S. Senate, despite the opposition of our party's Washington establishment. I disagreed that a senator should be our party's nominee, who had humiliated Anita Hill, allowed to do so by members of our party as she testified about her sexual harassment by now Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. There was no pleasure in opposing every member of my party's elite to defeat Senator Arlen Specter, who defected his Republican Party only to avoid defeat in its primary. But there would have been less in not standing up to demand accountability for the 30 years of his damaging votes as a senator, including against Miss Hill. After that, he gets into a lengthy discussion of how Navy aircraft are launched from carriers and how the teamwork involved in those launches is literally a life and death operation. He uses that as a metaphor for the kind of trust the American people require in their leaders, particularly the president. He also uses the video to talk about climate change, his personal history, his political history, his position on China's implementation of the 5G wireless network, and a bunch of other stuff. It is a long video and it covers a lot of ground. All right, so what is Sestak up against at this point? Well, it's going to be very, very tough for him. He is presumably drawing on support throughout Pennsylvania, but that's also a place where Joe Biden is very strong. He also fits into a demographic profile in this race that's pretty crowded already. In his age group, which I think of as the older boomers born right around 1950, we have five candidates right now. Currently, they are between 66 and 70 years old. And within that group, you've got from youngest to oldest, Williamson, Hickenlooper, Sestak, Inslee, and Warren. By the way, Warren did turn 70 over the weekend. But the point there is, he's got some major overlap with a lot of candidates who've been in this race longer, with one clear exception, though, his military service. Now, we do have five veterans in this field, if you count Mike Gravel, and I do. Having said that, Sestak clearly has the highest rank, 
and by far the longest service record to point to. That is a key differentiator, and he may be able to use that experience combined with his voting record in Congress as a way to show leadership experience and government experience in different settings. At the same time, you have candidates like Tulsi Gabbard, who is also a veteran, and even though she's only 38 years old, she already has more years in Congress than Sestak does. The biggest challenge right now for Sestak will be making any of the debates. He has an extremely slim chance of qualifying for the July debates because the cutoff for those polls and fundraising numbers is July 16th. That gives him just three weeks. Unless he makes some kind of enormous splash right now, I don't see him reaching 1% in three polls within that three-week time period, nor reaching the donor threshold. Things will just get tougher for the debates after July as well. So stay tuned, but right now, Sestak is facing an uphill climb. On the bright side, so is almost everybody else in the entire field. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. On Saturday, Planned Parenthood held a presidential forum in Columbia, South Carolina. A new record of 20 candidates appeared, and Joe Biden did attend this event along with the usual crowd. And, predictably, Biden made the biggest headlines, given that his change in support for the Hyde Amendment made such huge news over the past few weeks. And this was a Planned Parenthood event. Now, I'd love to play the entire clip here, but it would literally take up the rest of the show. So I'm going to have to cut it way, way down and summarize quite a bit. Okay, so Biden is on stage and has talked briefly with the moderators. Then, an Army veteran from Parkersburg, West Virginia, gets up to tell Biden her story and ask a question. Essentially, the story is that she had been in an abusive marriage and had been repeatedly assaulted by her husband during and after their marriage, despite having a court order against him. She was also assaulted during her military service. Her birth control failed multiple times, and as a result, she has had multiple abortions. She is concerned that especially in her home state of West Virginia, access to abortion services is incredibly limited and becoming more limited as time goes on. She concluded her remarks by saying, quote, Vice President, how are you going to expand access to sexual and reproductive health care, including abortion, to ensure that people like me, veterans like me, get access to the care that they need? End quote. And here's how Biden responded. A lot of you women, maybe a lot of the men out here, don't realize what incredible courage it took to stand up and say that. 
Because the fact of the matter is that when you recall, the reason I wrote the Violence Against Women Act in the first place, and I wrote it, was because of what I've seen, what I understand happening, going into neighborhoods and communities and seeing, and it knows no color, it knows no bounds, it knows no ethnicity. The fact of the matter is, for you to stand and recall that brings it all back immediately and brings it back and it's hard. And so I got to just compliment you for your courage, number one. Number two, I believe across the board, what we're going to have to see to it is that all of what you said changes. The idea that we, the idea that we still have in the military, the idea we still have in the military, the failure to deal with sexual assault and rape is outrageous. That's what Barack and I tried to do. And there's things we can do, number one. Number two, your former husband should be in jail. Your former husband should be in jail. And I hope there's a prosecutor who, in fact, when he had to stay where the one's supposed to be there, that's why we changed the law federally in a stay-away order. If, in fact, you violate it, you automatically are apprehended. Number three, the idea that there is a notion that anywhere in the world that a woman who is raped under any circumstances can be denied access, whether you're in the military or anywhere else, is absolutely bizarre. It's wrong. It's simply wrong. And number four, you should have access to, you should have access to affordable and if you don't have it, you, and you happen to have it, the VA benefits that you have, including your health care, should cover your circumstance. Should cover it right now. We've talked about that. We've tried to move that. But here's the deal. The bottom line is that we have to vastly expand. The federal government cannot dictate to a state, absent the violation of a constitutional amendment or a federal law that applies to them, how many clinics are available in every state. So what we have to do is we have to provide the access to increase the funding, which we fought to do, for Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood and other organizations that they find people who are referrals. And if there's a referral and woman doesn't have the money, she'd be able to get that referral by the transportation being paid for, the process being paid for, the whole deal. And so the point is that we have to expand, particularly for women who ha don't have insurance, poor women who in fact are, and by the way, we have to include this also for transgender women. We have to do this across, no, no, I really mean it. Because I don't think we think of that very often. We don't think of that. 10 transgender women have been killed in the, just this year. Killed just this year. And folks, so, they're, they're, and what I'd love to do, do you have time after this to talk to me personally? No, I really mean it, because I think I can directly help your personal situation as well. Okay, but the answer is, there should be no restriction at all yes. on your ability to get those rights. And particularly, and particularly getting the right reproductive care in terms of birth control. I mean, I mean this is like, you know, come on, this is not, this is the 21st century. And so, anyway, did I answer your question? <laughs> he went on to, again, discuss the courage required for women to speak out about such things at all, especially in public. He then asked the questioner what branch of the military she had served in and what her rank was. And then he related a brief story about his son, Bo, who was a major in the army and has since died from brain cancer. I encourage you to go watch the full exchange. It is very emotional, and it's not that long. It's just too long for this podcast. There is a link to C-SPAN in the show notes. Okay, and here's the other highlight that jumped out at me from the event. This time, Senator Cory Booker was on stage. 
A woman of Lakota descent noted that the Indian Health Service does not provide abortions because of the Hyde Amendment. She, again, asked essentially what Booker would do to make sure Native American women and poor women would have access to reproductive health care. Here's how Booker responded, and I'm going to cut this into two clips just to save a little time. Here's the first part. Goya, this is, uh, makes me very angry. I got into politics uh, because there are too many communities who are being left out and left behind. And a lot of these assaults on reproductive care are really assaults on low-income women and women in marginalized communities. Because what they did in Alabama, which is an assault on human rights, is, is an assault particularly on the vulnerable women there that can't afford to go to another state or access that kind of care. I, I, I am so angry because the most fundamental ideal of this country is liberty. And, and, and this is why I, I sometimes look at men and say, this is not a woman's issue. Don't tell me just because you have a, a, a wife or a mother or a daughter that that's how you relate to this. You have a body and you know that people should not be able to control your body. And, and, and so I got into politics to rep- represent marginalized communities, to fight for them and fight with them. And, and, and I promise you, as president of the United States, I'm going to fight to tear down the Hyde Amendment. And here's the second part. In this context, he is talking about policies in southern states that restrict voting rights. Listen in. These are folks who believe that the only way that they are going to be able to get into power is by suppressing people's votes. And then they turn around and the very people that they pass laws that oppress, that they oppress, the very people they target with these uh, 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 voter suppression laws are, are, are low income and often minority people. As we saw in in North Carolina, them drawing these lines or creating these laws, as a federal judge says, with surgical precision to disadvantage uh, people of color. And so to me, we are all in this together. As James Baldwin wrote to Angela Davis when she was incarcerated, they'll come for you in the morning. If they come for you in the morning, they come for me at night. We now have to fight. This election is about women. This election is about low-income people. This election is about minorities. This election is about all of us, and that's how I'm gonna fight. This is about liberty and justice for all, and we will win. You can find the full video from C-SPAN in the show notes, and essentially every candidate was given a short moment to talk about policies, then an audience member told a story, and then the candidate responded. It was a very, very long event due to the sheer number of people involved, but it is well worth watching, especially if you have a favorite set of candidates and you just want to scroll through and see what they said. And last up today, on a lighter note, primary ride home debate bingo is here. So I spent part of this weekend making the bingo cards themselves. There is a printable PDF for each night, Wednesday and Thursday, and each of those has 10 bingo cards with the same set of squares, but they've been, you know, shuffled and randomized on each card. They are labeled in the upper right-hand corner with the letters A through J, so you know which randomized card you have. Now, each bingo card has a list of the candidates that are in that debate, including a little picture of them and their name at the top in the seating order they will appear at that debate, like the whole left to right thing we talked about last week. That should really help put names to faces, and we'll talk a little bit more about debate prep on tomorrow's show. Okay, you can get those bingo cards online right now for free. There's no sign up. There's no nonsense at ridehome.info 
slash bingo. That's ridehome.info slash bingo. And that is also the first link in the show notes. So go get them right now so you don't forget to print them before Wednesday and Thursday night. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, everyone, it is a big week for the primaries. I guess that's kind of obvious, but it's really sinking in for me now. I have way more stories to cover every day this week than I can possibly fit into any of these shows. Also, I'm getting ready to set up my command center for Wednesday night. I'm thinking like laptop, maybe also iPad, the big TV with the streaming, the big water bottle, the cat in the corner, like whining for food the whole time because his dinner is right after the debate in my time zone. Anyway, I will figure it out, but I would love to hear what your debate plans are as well. So hit me up on Twitter if you've got stuff about that. I'm also curious if you have any feedback on those bingo cards. I am all ears. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 